I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom CDS Swap Bionic. I don't think you've used that one before. I think that's a uh, a unique one to lay on us. Indeed. Well, it's good to be back with you mm-hmm. here at the Future Quake Show. And, uh, well, we've got a very interesting show this week. It's, it's our traditional Tomorrow's Tremors, but also it's a very momentous time. We're looking at the um, 10th anniversary uh, this past weekend of 911, I'm sure mm-hmm. anybody who's seen TV has been overwhelmed over the last 48 hours or so mm-hmm. with discussions about 911. It was nonstop on cable TV this weekend, and I heard some people that patriotic thing. I heard some people that that I would have very differing views of, of 911 on, saying they were sick of it. They were sick of the TV coverage. Really? They said they were like, I realize bad stuff happened, but man, let. L- why are we dragging painful yeah. memories back over and over and over? You know, yeah. it's yeah. like it's like you know, uh, yeah. They made some various analogies, so it was interesting to hear that. Well, we've got a few little surprises mm-hmm. uh, that we're going to do on the show, plus our regular stories as well too. Mm-hmm. Let me let me go on and get our announcements out of the way. Kay. I know you're 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 just wiped out. You've had a really busy I'm, week. I'm beat, man. Yeah. And you're just sort of... I, I didn't sleep well last night. It's kind of the thing. Anything on your mind, brother, you can share with the listeners? Sure. I'm just wondering where my life is going, you know. Other than that? Other than that, no big deal, <laughs> you know. Uh, listeners, if you all know where Tom Bionic's life's going, please email us. We'd appreciate <laughs> that. You'd appreciate that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, I had I had dinner clairvoyance yeah. people scrying or whatever it was like I had the you know it's funny man I had dinner with a I had dinner with a a a, a, a good friend of mine who's uh, you know a pastor and he he asked me one time he said he kind of finally asked me point blank he says where do you see yourself in seven years yeah and the thing that I said in my head was I don't know I hope you know if you do please <laughs> tell me <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. did you did you did you have an epiphany? Just lay it on me. Yeah. yeah. Do you understand. know? Please don't don't keep me in the dark. I imagine if seven years ago somebody said, "What do you imagine yourself doing?" You you just started this little rinky dink radio show mm-hmm. that nobody listens to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've moved on to something important from there, right? You know, I would have thought, yeah, in a month I'll have this out of my system. You know. Yeah. Really had no business doing doing this little show to begin with. So, do you remember what I'm supposed to remind you of? Yes. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. But before I say that, I want to get some announcements out of the way. And um, those announcements, as we usually know, are about some people who've been very kind to our ministry this week, our radio show, and have helped us. Um, our sister Louise made a donation to Future Quake to help us with our expenses, Sweet. and I want to thank you for that, sister. And uh, she also bought a copy of the book, um, How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Century, which is on the front of futurequake.com. It's an anthology book of uh, topics, and I wrote one of the chapters in there. And you can get a book signed by old Doc Future there at the front of futurequake.com, and the proceeds from that help us with our expenses. And there's another new book that was just published uh, in July called Panamonium's Engine, and it's about that facets of transhumanism, mm-hmm. and I write a pr- prophecy uh, 
chapter in there about Nimrod being a transhuman or a possibility hmm. of it. And the uh, same way, uh, you can get them signed if you want those books. Uh, and right now, while supplies last, we're putting in some future quick bumper stickers, sort of a free thing in the package mm-hmm. on the ones that are going out right now. So I want to thank uh, also uh, Sister Rose uh, ordered one of both of those books. Sweetness. Good friend from uh, World of Prophecy. Yeah, haven't heard um, from her in a while. Yeah, always been real supportive. And I uh, just want to thank uh, some other people. Uh, I mentioned Louise and Lance. And uh, I, th- I think that's uh, I think that's it. And then we also had Susan in Washington uh, actually order a book set of uh, Lies the Government Told You by um, Judge Napolitano and the New World Order Eugenics Wars by Andrew Hoffman. And it's got special Futurequake artwork. And uh, that's also available at the front of futurequake.com. And I want to thank everybody for all that. And what you were reminding me of is the fact that we had a service at our church, uh, Calvary Chapel at Rivergate, uh, Sunday, and uh, our pastor has been preaching some very unique sermons that have touched on some things that we talk on a future quake, uh, and it's coming out of a weird direction. He's been focusing on how to get our right life right with God, with God, with the Heavenly Father upward, and how it affects how we deal with people around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this week he had a sermon. Uh, that touched like just about every sermon probably preached in this country uh, on the issue of 911. And um, I would venture to guess that most churches had some kind of issue about with patriotic overtones and, and you know, getting over fear and looking bright tomorrow and all this other kind of stuff. And he had some very, very interesting things to say in this sermon about um, when evil things happen, that there are institutions in our society like law enforcement that have a role to do and they have a job to do, mm-hmm. but that the church has a different role. The church has a different mission that the Lord has given us to basically spread the gospel to the whole world mm-hmm. and to reach out to people who even are enemies. And he, he said some verses that you don't hear in Christian media today, like love your enemies you know, and pray for those. Yeah, uh, you know, see those very For those who despitefully use you, all, all this... This was talked about in uh, in our show, in our mm-hmm. uh, uh, sermon, and it was such an incredible sermon, and I thought it was moving. And he's a lot more articulate than I am. I mean, he, he says things in a much more meaningful like way. smart and stuff. Yeah, smart yeah. and stuff. Um, but I, I have a favor to ask of our Futurians. I know a lot of our listeners will listen to sermons of different famous people uh, that they like now and then. And I just want to ask if you all would be so kind to go to uh, if you, uh, either go to calvarychapelrivergate.com. There's also a link on the front of our website at futurequake.com where you can click on the little picture of the church on the front and go there. Or I'll have a link directly to the sermon. There's even a video you can watch uh, that I'll have linked in our past shows uh, mm-hmm. list of links uh, for this show. If you can go there and watch it, I believe everybody will be blessed in our uh, our listenership. And I'd like everybody, if you can make time... You know, it's about a half hour, uh, and I know that's a lot of time to ask. But uh, I would recommend, if you normally listen to a sermon or something like that, if you could choose this week to listen to his, uh, and uh, maybe even drop him an email and let him know uh, that you that you enjoyed the sermon. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd really, really appreciate that a lot, and I think you'll be blessed by it. So I just want to mention that, and we'll get on to our topic, because we're going to talk a little bit about... 911 and what is the legacy behind it, as well as we got some other stories too with the time we have remaining. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk with a friend of ours 
friend of the show, goes back to our pre-Cambrian days of Future Quake. Um, a lot of our listeners know him. Some of them met him at conferences and things. This is Robert Hyde, uh, who not, has not been on our show in a long time. We asked him at the last minute to come in for a little brief visit to uh, talk about some of his thoughts about 911 and the legacy of it. And so we're going to go to that segment. We just recorded that segment before we went on air here. And so uh, with no further ado, we're going to go to Robert Hyde uh, talking about the legacy of 911, his thoughts about it and for the future. And then we'll be back to discuss it here at Future Quake. All right, we're here at the Future Quake show uh, with one of our dear friends on our show, someone who's not been on in a good while. Um, Tom and I are here with mm-hmm. Robert Hyde, who was who joining us back for a very moment this time uh, at Future Quake. And I just want to welcome you back to the Future Quake show. Well, it's good to be here. You caught me sitting on my front porch. I uh, hope you don't mind if I smoke. Uh, it's according to what you're smoking, I guess. But then again, I guess it doesn't mind what you're smoking. It's legal. It's legal. Okay. So, so you're so you're wafting, I assume, some pipes pipe smoke around there. Mm-hmm. Well, does that isn't that contributing to global warming or something? Probably is. Yeah. Probably I ought to be um, registering for a carbon tax or something. Okay. So you're watching humanity from your porch, in other words, while you're pontificating that with the I millions am. here on Future Quake. Well, That's it's correct. it's great to have you back. For some of our newer listeners, um, of course, most of our listeners after a while have gone through our whole archive of shows and they're familiar with you. But uh, those of you who are not, you you were our first guest on the first episode of Future Quake seven years ago, and you always come back at momentous times, like when we have our uh, annual prediction show and whenever mm-hmm. whenever the 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 you know. The, the need fits, uh, or whatever all, you, you have the urge for it. We're all uh, seven years older and wiser now, aren't we? Well, that's right, and that's why I wanted you to come back for just for a little visit to uh, uh-huh. chat with us about something momentous this weekend, and that was the 10th anniversary of the 911 event. I know everybody in our audience has heard this to death, particularly if they're watching TV this weekend, but we really have not really said our two cents on any kind of lessons learned from it. We're going to be talking about that a lot during our show tonight, and I want to get some of your perspectives on it. So uh, I just want to sort of cede the floor to you uh, and let you share a little bit, uh, because I know it's like the old cigarette ad, you come a long way, baby, and so have I, and, and understanding the world and what's going on, and this was largely a catalyst uh, I, I know for me and somewhat for you, too, for understanding what's going on. And, in fact, probably around mid-decade is when things, at least for me, started to crystallize, unfortunately, after the uh, the middle election there in 2004. But things really started to uh, come together for me right as in the early days of the Future Quake show, in fact. So just share with us a little bit about some things you've been thinking about uh, in 10 years looking back about what we've done, what we've learned about ourselves as a nation, as a church, about yourself, and um, just take the floor. All right. Uh, well, you know, you and I uh, together went and, and attended a conference back in 2006 in which uh, both of us really had our eyes opened about what had happened in 9-11. Uh, we, we both had some misgivings about it, but it hadn't crystallized for either of us. And it's good for me to remind myself of that because that was almost a full five years after after 9-11 occurred, before mm-hmm. I realized this, the seriousness of how badly we had been lied to. Mm-hmm. And and I have to remember that when I know, you know, we're coming up on 10 years now, and that's that's a long time. Right now, now uh, who, was, who, who was operating that conference? Uh, Alex Jones was. 
Yeah, it was in Los Angeles, wasn't it? It was a 911 Truth Conference. Yeah, and there was a lot of good people there. And we were, a lot of good we were already mm-hmm. having discussions before that. I mean, you and I already had our strong suspicions, but we actually got to hear the people who are really at the cutting edge of doing the research in it. And I have to just remind everybody, I, I need to really thank Peter Goodgame and David Lowe for helping me mm-hmm. understand this when I really didn't want to let go of my old paradigm of who I thought right. the good guys were. And uh, right. so I've had some Christian brothers who've been some guests on our show help me get there. Another thing that was really invaluable to me was that we actually got to talk to the people personally. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're doubting the media, you need something more than the media to help you doubt it. <laughs> um, mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, And right. to actually be able to contact these people, you know, face-to-face and be able to size them up and sense what kind of people they are, whether they're whether they're really honest and, and, and forthcoming and know what they're doing. And to me, one of, the, one of the people that really impressed me at that time, not the only one, but one of the, one of the guys was Stephen Jones. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was such a straight arrow, um, uh, you know, clearly a very competent scientist, uh, an expert in his field, and he had done the research. He, he, and he knew what he was talking about, and you just, you know, you could just tell mm-hmm. this man, this man knew, and it mattered. And, and to find a people of stature that you could really respect and, 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 and hear where they were coming from made a huge difference to me. Well, you yeah, know, you know, we had a statistic we we cited last week on our show. Uh, you know, the media tells us that people who have questions about nine one one or are truthers, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, are 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 the complete loonies of society on on par with the Unabomber. You know, are the people uh-huh. who think the world is flat and just the extreme mm-hmm. fringe. But this uh, prominent poll that was just done shows that at least fifteen to sixteen percent of the public. Um, believes that our own government was involved in a conspiracy in 911. What were those numbers? Uh, between 15 and 16 percent of the believe public. Believe our government was involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than uh, one in seven. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh That's not a trivial percentage of the public. No, it's not. No, it, it's not. If you if you get between a quarter and a third of the public thinking that, it, it will prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, really. Well, particularly since a large part of our public doesn't think anything about anything right. other than their next consumer acquisition, and that's really their, their own main concern. Um, so so uh, share with me a little bit more about some of your thoughts over the past decade. What have you learned about well, our nation um, and church? This might be a strength or it might be a weakness on my part, but I'm a reader of history, and so I spend a lot of my time in the past. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. times in the 20th century and a lot of times in prior centuries, uh, I find I learned a pretty good amount that way. Um, one of the things that has gotten me interested in, in digging backward is, um, has the government ever lied to us in the past? Um, if so, how did they do it and so forth? And that has driven me back to the Kennedy assassination. And I've done a lot of poking around in that. Uh, recently, this summer I've read a couple of books. Uh, I've probably read 10, 12, 15 books on the Kennedy assassination over the last 30 years. And, uh, and it starts to come together rather slowly. Um, but one of the things that, that, um, I, I came away from is, 
you know, essentially the Kennedy assassination now has been solved. Um, we don't, we can't name the exact names of the trigger men. At least I, I haven't heard them exactly, although there's one guy, uh, I forget who he is. He lives out in Arizona or someplace. He's pretty much acknowledged that he was a trigger man. Uh, but certainly the masterminds, uh, have, have now, have now been somewhat identified. For example, you, you can read about E. Howard Hunt, what he mm-hmm. confessed to his son on his deathbed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that he had, he had real knowledge of what was going on. And, and the, the point is not that we have to know who exactly did what because they're probably dead now. Uh, but the important thing is to know that the Warren Commission lied to us. They lied to us intentionally. Uh, the government wanted to make sure that the American people did not suspect the government. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the people who were raising the questions were the, were the right guys. Uh, it was, it was essential to ask the questions. And what's, what's interesting to me is the mainstream media hung tough and, and really basically still hangs tough. Uh, about the JFK assassination, and they'll, if somebody really raises serious questions, they'll, they'll get the poo-poo artists, uh, out to, to minimize it. And, uh, they've hung in there pretty thoroughly for the last, what, how long has it been? 40 something years? 47, 48 mm-hmm. years? Something like that? And, uh, and there's a reason for it, you know, uh, because some, some of the culprits, uh, live a long time, you know, and, and they have to be covered for. Uh, I was thinking of Arlen Specter, for example. You know, he was the guy who had to come up with the theory, the silver bullet, magic bullet theory, mm-hmm. uh, because he was constrained. There, there had to be only three shots fired at Kennedy maximum, and uh, nobody was figuring that they would have a live-action film of what happened. Right. They could cover it all up with smooth stories. And, uh, any rate, the three bullet, the three bullet scenario was essential, uh, but it, it couldn't hold water. And so Arlen Specter was what the, the, uh, council or the inquisitor mm-hmm. or something, the Warren Commission, and he had to come up with this magic bullet theory where the, the bullet ricocheted two or three times in Kennedy's body and, and went through Connolly two or three times and all that. Uh, you know, Arnold Specter went on to become a senator mm-hmm. in the United States Senate. Now he he doesn't he does not want people going back there and digging into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's at least embarrassing. He didn't do anything criminal, I don't suppose. Uh, what about fraud? Fraud? Yeah, fraud. I mean that's that's not a good thing. But Lying under oath. If we started prosecuting people for fraud. We just, we just shut down the government. So, <laughs> so, so even we, before we they got elected, even while they were running. That's right. So we'll, 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 we'll let it give him a pass on fraud. And, uh, you know, but he doesn't, he doesn't want this thing to come out. Well, gosh, he just retired from the Senate a couple of years ago, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there are guys that are hanging around that knew that they were lying to people. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's important to them. It's important to them for their prestige and their careers and 
and so forth. It's, things be hushed up for a long period of time. And um, all this time, you know, the people, the little people, the private investigators, the gutsy reporters, uh, some ex-CIA and ex-FBI guys have basically had to do all this research on their own, on their own nickel, uh, not only having government files withheld from them, but actually at, at some risk, you know, uh, Kennedy was just the first guy who was assassinated on November the 22nd. I mean, there's been a whole lot more people died since then mm-hmm. for, uh, for Kennedy's sake. And, uh, and the mainstream media has just been totally derelict uh, in that. And the little people who have, who have bothered to spend their time, spend their resources, and, you know, some of them have published books and some of them, no doubt, have not, uh, trying to get at the truth. We owe them a terrific debt of gratitude. Right. Uh, yeah. Because, because it was that kind of digging that, that was necessary for the government to have to start to come clean about the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, now, now it's pretty well can be told that, uh, the whole Vietnam War came from the Gulf of Tonkin false flag attack, mm-hmm. which was totally fabricated by the NSA and a couple of other guys, and they used it, uh, and they they probably fooled President Johnson. Let's be honest. You know, I mean, people can say that he wanted a war, and maybe he did, but I'm not sure of that. Uh, you know... Robert, we just uh, we lost you yep. there for just a minute. Sorry about that. Uh, All on right. Our, on our connection there, uh, we're, uh-huh. we're okay now. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but we're just going to have to ask you to sort of get get started up there again. Could you please uh, pick up the narrative? Okay. Uh, well, I hope I'm not repeating myself. But uh, the the point I was wanting to make that um, the J the JFK assassination and how it was handled by the little people who just hung on to the story. Uh, like bulldogs, and they wouldn't let it go and, until um, until they found things out. And it took years and years and lots of work, a lot of cooperation by people. There were a lot of false trails and so forth. But they eventually, you know, were able to make their case. And we now know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone, if he acted at all, in the death of President Kennedy. Which brings us to 9-11, because... Uh, if 9-11 was a false flag terror attack or it was an inside job or whatever it was, it would not be the first time that there was an attempt by outsiders to unduly influence the United States government and its policies by foisting upon them uh, a staged or a semi-staged event. So um, you know, to me it's relevant. Now, would you even go so far to say that it's pretty common in Western history that when a a given country in the West wants to start invading and getting the resources of other countries, that they will invent an enemy for the public's sake to justify it? Well, yes, it's real common, and I don't know European history as well as I do American history, but let's run let's run down the list of American wars where. Um, Americans generally tell themselves that we do not like to fight wars unless they are moral. And that being the case, or at least that's what we tell ourselves, 
Uh, our wars have always had to be fought on some kind of a pretext, and and it was always a false pretext. You go with the Mexican War, uh, President Polk had to set up a border incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his objective? Conquer Mexico. Uh, President Lincoln in the Civil War uh, was under tremendous pressure to force the South to fight first, and that's why... You know, they couldn't negotiate anything about Fort Sumter because if they could come to any kind of a deal, he wouldn't have a case for a war. Uh, Spanish-American War, remember the Maine blowing up in Havana Harbor? That was totally a false flag operation. The United States ultimately had to publicly apologize to the Spanish government 30, 35 years later. Franklin Roosevelt mm-hmm. did it. Of course, he didn't say too much of it to the American public. World War One had to have a pretext for Lusitania other things, uh, World War II had to have some pretexts uh, because how how were we going to sell the fact that we were fighting the Germans when the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, Korean War was a setup. Vietnam War was a setup. Typically, what about I mean, the Indian Wars? Weren't, weren't <laughs> the Indian Wars uh, provoked with the Indians to justify taking over more of their land as well? Too they were, weren't they? Right. So that goes back and pretty far. Goes back pretty far. It's it's pretty common, and uh, we like to think we like to hear guys like Churchill or Roosevelt or someone who tell us democracies don't make war, democracies don't start wars. But the truth is, if we're talking about Western democracies, uh, and we mean America and Great Britain <laughs> or and France, uh, these democracies start wars all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. start a lot of wars. Yeah, yeah. right. So, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a surprise for us to realize, uh, that this, this is how wars are begun. And, you know, if a person gets just really honest and starts looking around, it's obvious that, uh, wherever September 11 came from, and I don't pretend to know, uh, all I know is that it was a more complex operation than 19 Saudis with box cutters. Okay, mm-hmm. it was a much more complex operation, and it is clear that the purpose of that operation was to move the United States public into supporting a whole series of Mideast wars, because that's what we got, and that was the excuse that was given, and if there had not been that excuse, they wouldn't have had the wars, and because they had the excuse, there was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I blame... I blame... Uh, guys who controlled the media for this, uh, just like I would blame, uh, you know, William Randolph Hearst for uh, the Spanish-American War. That's simplistic. I mean, he wasn't acting alone, mm-hmm. but uh, we all remember the yellow journalism and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and whoever is feeding the press, and I don't know who that is, but whoever is feeding the press has a great deal of responsibility for... Uh, for how at least how 9/11 was spun mm-hmm, in order mm-hmm. to justify Middle East wars. Ultimately, all of us have our own personal responsibility, don't we? To yes, we do. to make personal we we cannot blame. You know, although there's blame certainly due to all these institutions, mm-hmm. the fact that mm-hmm. we would actually just carte blanche accept the, the 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 opinions or what we're being led by these institutions believe, particularly when it's something directed to violent acts that would cause right. loss of life. Don't we ultimately have a responsibility to look behind the curtain 
and see what could be the motives of these institutions telling us to do this, particularly if you look at history and see that this is the same script over and over again, doesn't it really behoove us not to be fooled yet another time like Charlie with the football? It's like they scratch out the names I'm, and then write I'm in gonna, other right. names. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to answer that with a, with a yes and a no. You say, is it our responsibility? I'm going to say yes and no. I'm assuming that most of the people who are listening to your broadcast are probably Christians, like I am. And, and there's a sense in which, you know, you can live your life for Christ and be totally detached from the world, and that's great, you know. And if, and if that is the kind of a life that you live and that is what Christ has called you to, then really you do not have to, you do not have to worry about these kinds of questions that, that you and I are talking about right now. Uh, and that's perfectly legitimate. You know, I have friends who are, say, Mennonites. Um, they've, they've made their decision about how they're going to live their life. They're farmers. They raise their families. They raise their crops. They live good lives. They do not have to worry about this kind of thing. And, and I would not cast on them any kind of a burden like that at all. For those of us who feel that we have political responsibilities, uh, either in my case as a pastor or as a teacher, where, where I have some responsibilities for what people know and understand that, that God has placed in my area of responsibility, then I can't dodge those questions. And I don't think you can either, unless, unless you just want to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that sense, the answer is yes. We do, we do have a big responsibility there. And, uh, I, I really feel like, uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of, um, I hate to say it this way, it sounds ugly, it sounds patronizing, but we've got, we've got some Christians who are kind of half-educated, mm-hmm. and, and they think that they, because they've suddenly gotten interested in a subject, they think that they understand it on deep levels, and, um, and they don't, and, uh, and they make misjudgments and uh, kind of embarrass us all. Uh, are, you, are you talking about me when you think of that he's idea? talking about me. Well, I, you know, I, did, I didn't want to just say it. You know, That's what I, I figured. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but there is, there is a problem, and I, and I don't want to, you know, tell people that, that they, they shouldn't be, uh, be involved and, you know, and, and that they have to know everything before they become activists, but, uh, you know, just as, as recently as last night, where we had uh, we had Tea Partiers, I guess, on on that debate, uh, that little Republican Tea Party debate or something, mm-hmm. and they they were cheering uh, some kind of a you know let's let the let's let the uh, sick people die sort of thing, and uh, they they think that this is somehow consistent with. Uh, with Tea Party thinking, and it's like, well, maybe, but it certainly isn't Christian thinking. Well, I don't um, know if you saw that. Um, if I could comment, I, 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 I watched that part of the debate. And what did some, you think about it? Well, somebody could construe that actually from comments of Ron Paul, because they didn't uh-huh. listen to him carefully. Well, right. What happened was they, they were trying to put him in a spot. You know how the Pharisees would try to trap people? Well, they That's tried right. to trap Ron Paul because they knew he was a libertarian and thinking of right. minimal government right. about, right. well, what happens if, if a young, talking about Obamacare, because you could right. tell it was CNN, they're very pro-Obamacare. And so 
they were like, what about if you have a 30-year-old man and uh, should you force him to get insurance? And Ron Paul says no. Uh, but, you know, it's a free country. And he says, well, what about if he gets a life-threatening illness and he's right. in the hospital? Uh, right. He said, do you think the government should cover him then? And he says, no, right. I don't think so. And right. there was gas in the audience and couldn't believe it. And he's like, what do you mean? He's just going to down the corner. And Ron Paul said that uh, it wasn't that long ago that we had other institutions of society that stepped in. He says mm-hmm. there was churches, there were individuals, there was other groups. He said, we didn't have all this system until just recently. And people didn't die on the street. There were exactly. people who stepped in the hole, and it doesn't have to be the government is the only one involved in taking care of these mm-hmm. matters. Well, that was completely contorted to mean he says that the government shouldn't get involved, therefore these people should just die on the street. Right. So that was sort of the how things got twisted, you know, a little bit in that in that regard. But but there is a harshness and a shrillness from sometimes activists in the Christian camp, it seems. Mm-hmm. I, I I shudder to think when maybe that we've added to that when we do, but but just a real crassness in, in some of the yeah, ways that certain people groups are discussed or things like this. Right. Well, um, I would say, you know, we've got some we got some Tea Party types who have uh, who have discovered Ayn Rand, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the kind of a, that's that's the kind of a response that she would give mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and, and this is a this is a wake up call. If uh, mm-hmm. if if Christians think that uh, you know that uh, they can they can follow Ayn Rand uh, instead of Jesus Christ, um, <laughs> we better mm-hmm. we We're, better try to that one. We better head that one off. You have to well, pass. You, I mean, you know that's something that's been important to me for the last few weeks. Sort of behind the scenes, I've been studying this because of a guest that we may have mm-hmm. here in a few weeks who's a big supporter, and also this person, while they support Ayn Rand, the, the Christian church has strongly supported them. And mm-hmm. uh, what I have read and found out made me shudder. I didn't fully realize how completely the spirit of Antichrist was behind a lot of that and how mm-hmm. it actually uh, besmirched a lot of legitimate, compassionate libertarianism with, with a total uh, selfishness, <laughs> the ultimate selfishness, total disregard for other people. And that's the warning that I see is that in in our attempt, again, to try to make change, and even in some of the good things like that you have talked out about, self-determination, about freedom for people to make their own decisions, that it is not a license to not be your brother's keeper. That's exactly right. And yeah. the government cannot be a good uh, referee on that balance. Other institutions right. have to get involved, like like the churches. Uh, other groups of goodwill, or even just us as individuals, have to realize how to temper that. But right. institutions like the government cannot draw those kind of case-by-case, you know, lines like that. Right. And um, this this brings up, you know, as a as a libertarian Christian, you know, I I like to stress liberty and responsibility and freedom of people to express their own thoughts and their own opinions. Uh, but this, this brings with it a responsibility. You know, since you have this freedom, how, how are you going to use your freedom responsibly? Because you're a creation of God and you are a, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and, and you have, you have some obligations to use your, 
use your freedom as you as you should. Uh, but just as St. Paul says, you know, you use this to serve one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, love, service is absolutely at the heart of the Christian message. And when you when you start hearing people in the name of Christ or the Church or or religious uh, freedom or something going against any ethic of of love and service and humility and human kindness, wow, that, that's that's going off the deep end mm-hmm. quick. Well, well, let, let me ask you. We've we've had a decade of you know after the trauma of nine one one, everyone. Mm-hmm trying to figure out what's really going on, who are we supposed to go get, um, you know, what will make us feel better, when will we get our revenge. Mm-hmm. And we've had we've had a number of countries invaded. I don't think we've won in any of them so far. Uh, mm-hmm. There was just announcements about negotiated deals with the Taliban right now, uh, which would have been unheard of at the time that they were invaded. Um, right. Is there been anything accomplished in the trillions of dollars spent in these wars, have have we done anything where we're in a better state than we were ten years ago? And Not that what, I have, see. what has happened to the church in the ten years? Um, in in my view, uh, the church um, has had about ten years to uh, to largely behave in a very foolish fashion. Uh, and is and is now getting a chance to begin to look at itself in the mirror, uh, and and I am really hopeful uh, that that the church is about ready to see where it has made some very very serious mistakes. Hmm. And I'm I'm hopeful that there will be a that there will be a, 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 a some kind of a repentance or a recognition, a correction, course correction, as to as to what is going on. And I'll tell you a couple of things that encourage me about it. One is, um, uh, it reminds I'll tell you what, it reminds me of the pro-life movement. You know, the pro-life movement has been remarkably successful. Um, and people will be surprised to hear me say that, but we have, because the, the real purpose of the pro-life movement as far, I believe, as our Lord is concerned, is to get the truth, the honest truth of the love of God on the table. That God loves these little babies, and he does not want them killed. However, God is aware, even if we are not, that you do not make legal solutions to moral problems. Okay? Women have aborted their babies in every culture throughout history for thousands of years. This will continue. What people need to know, however, is the truth of what God thinks, the truth that life is precious, and the truth that even if a person has done a terrible thing, they can receive forgiveness of their sins, and they can be transformed and live a wonderful, holy, redeemed life. That's the real purpose, as far as I can tell, of the pro-life movement. And in that sense, the pro-life movement has done rather well when they have focused on 
the human, moral, and spiritual aspects. When they try to look for legal solutions, they begin to drift. Okay? In the same way, 9-11 truth is extremely strong right now. This is amazing. The truth is out there, and people are paying attention. And more and more people are waking up. And just as, uh, you know, Ron Paul was talking about ending the Fed four years ago, and people weren't listening at all. Now, people are listening. And it really isn't necessary that we end the Fed. Of course, I'd love to see the Fed shut down. But the fact that people know that it's there, they know it's the enemy, they know that they don't trust it. We've won. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm. We've won. We've, we have changed, we have changed the way people think. And, um, you know, the, uh, this war in Libya is so ridiculous that, that people, people are really wondering, you know, what's going on in Libya? How come Al Qaeda was our enemy in Afghanistan, and Al-Qaeda was our enemy in Iraq, and all of a sudden we're supporting Al-Qaeda in Libya. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the British and the French and, and NATO, and therefore the United States, are supporting Al-Qaeda in Libya? Does this, mm-hmm. does this add up? And the answer is no, of course it doesn't add up, but that's what's happening. And, and there are some, you know, people that they have resisted the truth for 10 years. But they're beginning to say, you know, something is wrong with this picture. Mm-hmm. And, and just as, just as they begin to say, you know, the Fed is not our friend. This war in Libya makes no sense. They're starting to open up. And when you say, and did you know that uh, we were not told the truth about 9-11, there are people that are starting to listen now. Well, you know, with the, great. with the exception of the, the kind of folk that are in our audience, it seems like the folk that I meet in the evangelical church are the last ones to the table. Well, to consider they are. That. They're, they're, I mean, they're, the, the concentration of Kool-Aid they're drinking on these matters is higher than in other institutions right now, mm. it seems like to yeah. me. Uh, you know, I would, say, I would say, I used to think that, but after spending some time with some family, I would say that. There's yeah. a lot of Kool-Aid in the water all over. Right, right, okay. All right. In the church and out of I the I guess church. I expect more out of the church because yeah, well, they're supposed uh-huh. to be spirit-filled. And sure. It's close to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I don't know what to make of this, but uh, just today I saw on the, you can Google on this, um, Paul Krugman, uh, who writes a column, I guess, called The Conscience of a Liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a very short article uh, that he published on Sunday, September 11th, and it's on the New York Times op-ed online. And the title of the article is called Years of Shame. And he mm-hmm. admits, he admits that nine, that the whole 9-11 affair was twisted to support the agenda of the neoconservatives he says this mm-hmm. and and he is ashamed 
and he is ashamed of what his fellow pundits did, and he and he made the the, the article extremely brief, and um, and and says for obvious reasons I'm not going to accept any comments on this, <laughs> and he just left it there, and I'm going man. Something well, he got comments because on shows like uh, the O'Reilly Factor and other shows on Fox News. He was basically made out to be a, a traitor to our nation. And there's mm-hmm. a big move to have him fired, I think, from the New York Times mm-hmm. uh, because of this. Because he, he had a descending view, he didn't justify having a job uh, mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which is kind of scary that the, that the guys uh, who, who consider themselves the, uh, the truth. Robert, I'm sorry I have to interrupt you here again. Had a... Uh, a weird thing happened here in the recording. I don't know what our issues are here. We had here, a disturbance but... in the force. It was, okay. it was a disturbance in the force. That's right. Is there? Well, I'm glad yeah. you guys can detect it. I'm here with two Anakin Skywalkers. Uh-huh. <laughs> good thing right. Py- Pyro's here with us. Well, um, yeah. we're getting we're getting late in our discussion here, so uh, can you head us around third base and just tell us a little bit about uh, how you would summarize what we've learned from this decade, good and bad, and and what you recommend we do to make things right based upon what we've experienced. Okay. Um, as a as individual people, I think we have to realize that um, history has been thrust upon us. Uh, there are there have been some bad things that have gone down that we were not responsible for. Um, the thing that we want to do is get our eyes open and try not to be any more complicit than we need to be. Let's let's try to be open and honest. Let's admit that we were fooled, uh, that our um, our goodwill, our naivete was used against us, uh, and understand where we are, and and also to extend a graciousness to other people who maybe. Uh, have seen things a little later than we did and, and are coming around and not riding too hard uh, about the fact that, yeah, I was I was late to wake up, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, the important thing is that we, we learn from this. Um, I, I, to me, uh, as Americans, as human beings, as Christians, it's all the same thing, you know, as living human beings, we have a responsibility to God, and we have a responsibility that is discharged in loving service, helpfulness to our fellow man, take the commands of Christ seriously, uh, love our enemies, do all those things that we've known were important to do since we ever heard the Sermon on the Mount and believed it. And uh, I think this is a great... This is a great time to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, any time, any time is a great time, and now is a great time. Well, Move forward and uh, walk with Christ. Well, let me ask you, looking at the future, I, I suspect, in some degree, that this whole issue of nine one one and then the subsequent militarism of our society, and you know the the hyper patriotism and things, has driven a wedge between the older church and the younger church of young people. And that as the younger church as the younger church rises, 
it's going to have a much different feel to it than the church leaders that we've had in the last decade. I think that is correct, and I and I think that is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, the younger church will probably make its share of mistakes and so forth, and if some of us, uh, you know, older guys can be helpful in... Uh, and, and helping them pass that, you know, maybe we have a role to play. And uh, walk in love, walk in truth, walk in service, um, and be generous. Be, uh, be kind-hearted to those that we love and be kind-hearted to those that we're afraid are our enemies. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, one of, the, one of the things you've done in the latter phase of this decade was you started a, a popular blog called Sycamore 3. Dot blogspot.com, which is a forum for free-thinking Christians to be able to really express their their feelings mm-hmm. on all these matters. Right. It doesn't always have to be super serious. It can be lighthearted, but but right. thought-provoking, I think, is the common theme mm-hmm. I, I find there. Uh, and I want to uh-huh. encourage all of our listeners to go there, sycamore3.blogspot.com. You will read right. posts by other people that you may know. Um, right. It might be an Andrew Hoffman Post or Ben Carmack or some other people mm-hmm. that uh, you'll get to know that have some connection possibly to Future Quake and I want I certainly want to recommend that. Um, Tom, was there anything you want to well, say to Robert or thoughts? Let me, let me add. Let me add oh. one thing to that. Um, okay. I just put on my blog um, today. Uh, I requested of Cindy Sheehan if I could post one of her articles, and she graciously said that I could, and um, and I did. Uh, this is this is an open conversation, and uh, you know most of us who contribute to it are believers, but uh, it's open. It's 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 a free and open site, and uh, people of all persuasions are welcome to check in and make their comments. So okay, um, of course, there's a lot of evangelicals who are renting their clothes right now when you said Cindy Sheehan. <laughs> yes, and that's why I said it. You know. We need, we need a little, I think, in the evangelical church. Let me ask you, is she somebody that you would have had on something associated that you were writing, say, 15 years ago? No, I don't think that I would have, although I, I like to think that I was, was, was fairly generous in my thinking 15 mm-hmm. years ago, but no, I probably would not have. Yeah. I probably would not have. Yeah. I've certainly, not only our experience at 911, but the experience at Radio Free Nashville changed. Yes. A lot of the clientele hung out with. And mm-hmm. certainly many, many of our Futurians and our guests have been the big thing to sort of change my view. And, and I've had a little bit of deja vu in that I've gone back and seen some old friends of mine that I haven't seen in a decade or two, uh, yes. you know, particularly Christian ones, and they didn't recognize me. Uh, they had thought I had been kidnapped and replaced with another, you know, person, because <laughs> when when it might come out some of my perspectives and views, they were an about face over what I was, you know, from what they knew and recognized. So um, we we have such a wonderful circle here of our Futurians around the show that it's easy to forget how far all of us come, and it sort of yeah. masks some of the difference until you go back. And get immersed. Of course, a lot of our listeners, if they go back into their own church, they suddenly realize how far they've come away from everybody. Uh, Tom, did you have any last words you want to share with uh, 
No, I Brother think you Robert guys pretty much covered covered kind of the basics. Okay. The government lied, they still lie, and they're probably lying now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have yeah. some responsibility. Yeah. You know, one of the stories one of the stories I had in my stack here is a um is a, and we'll probably we'll, I'll probably end up reading it here mm-hmm. before too much longer, is the fact that these two guys are now getting sued by the CIA. Uh, because they found two guys who were involved in some sort of a crazy cover-up of the real identity of two of the people on the on the one of the plane to hit the hit the trade centers, and uh, uh, nobody's really sure of the details. But they said we know who it is, and we're going to name names. And the CIA said we're going to sue you. Mm-hmm. And this just came this just came out like you know 72 mm-hmm. hours ago. Wow. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robert, uh, I don't, I don't know what. It's like um, it's like we're moving toward a, a kind of a little crisis point here. I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of it, but uh, there's people that are getting more outspoken in the last three to four weeks. Um, good guys uh, who are who are becoming really uh, getting bold. Well, you've got you know, people maybe like it's rubbing off. Hey, I don't know. Like Krugman, like you mentioned. This Doug yeah. Weed guy, who was really uh-huh. the main guy that got uh, Bush uh, Jr. in with the uh, religious right crowd and was an architect has of we, all that. that has now, he come out a little bit? Well, he's now the major proponent of Ron Paul. Uh, really? And against the war and everything else going on. Yeah. Very good. And so there's Very all good. interesting things. But, you know, the, the mainstream media may be right about this collective insanity of us. Because here you are uh-huh. having Cindy Sheehan on, and I've got a story in my stack here saying uh, somebody said our troops do not protect our freedom, and we should stop thanking them for doing so. Yes. Huh. So I don't know what's wrong with us, but uh, we're not ready for prime time. But uh, maybe prime time will come around to us one of these days. But Robert, I want to thank you so much for for coming on short notice and uh, just picking your brain off the top of your brain, and uh, I want you to take some time. And think about a topic that you can fully develop for a fully dedicated show to you in the future. All right. It's been too Great long. Great to talk to you. It's been too long uh, since Dr. we've had you on. Yeah, any, any plans we need to be aware of? You, things you got planned for the future? Oh, no. You know, I play my cards close to my chest. Yeah, I, I understand. You don't want to let the man know <laughs> what you're up to. That's um, right. Robert, thank you so much. And thank you for your blog. Uh, again, we'll have it posted here, sycamore3.blogspot.com. I highly recommend everybody make that part of your, your rotation of reading and posting uh, at his site. And, uh, Robert, we're going to say goodnight, but I just want to thank you again for uh, joining us for this very important milestone here at Future Quake. And, uh, Tom, I'll be looking forward to hearing uh, your commentary when I listen to the rest of this show. Yeah, man. Oh, sweetness. Okay, thank you so okay. much. Okay, that was Robert Hyde mm-hmm. sharing his two cents. Any thoughts you have? Um, no, not really. I'm not going to pick on you too much because I know you've had a very difficult <laughs> week. I know you're conserving your energy for your stories you want to share. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, like I like I said, the government lied. The government lied. The government's still lying. What's it going to do next? Are you trying to make us like a 30 second show a week? Is yeah. Just repeat it's, that mantra. So that's all you need to know. Yeah. I almost said Romans 18. Revelation 18. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, you know, that fit on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. How did you phrase that again? The government lied. The government lied. The government lied. Dot, dot, dot. What do you think they're going to do next? <laughs> Maybe you could have some pictures. 
you know, some famous historical events, you sure. know, like different wars and, and have the examples and let people fill in the blank at you, the end. You know, I've got this, I've got this, uh, PDF of a headline from the, uh, from the Hilo, uh, the Hilo, um, news, Hilo Tribune, mm-hmm. you know, in Hawaii. And it says, uh, sneak attack from Japan imminent. And it's dated November 30th. You know, <laughs> right. Just just a couple days before Pearl Harbor, you know. I thought about making that into a T-shirt. Yeah, that was a real surprise, wasn't it? That sneak attack. <laughs> Apparently, it yeah, was. Nobody saw it. It's interesting. The the um, the declassified documents they have the memos from FDR saying we, we've got to be able to get the Japanese to take the first shot at us. Yeah. And they were successful. They got them to take the first shot. Yeah. There's another one. Um, there's another one in uh, Churchill's memos. He was having breakfast with the, I believe it was the American ambassador, and they were listening to the mm-hmm. BBC and discussing things. And he's listening real closely, and he doesn't hear anything about Pearl Harbor. And he gets really agitated, you know, according to the, according to the uh, the American ambassador. He, he gets really, really agitated and leaves the room. And then a few months later, comes back, and he's all he's all he's all fine. And sits down, and he's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently the uh, the BBC announcer had gotten his papers sh- shuffled, and he was going through he was going through the headlines like two two pages at a time, mm-hmm. and he missed he- you know the big headline. Yeah, and um, uh, that's you know it, it it appears that Churchill was expecting to hear about huh. you know Pearl Harbor, but didn't. And got agitated when he didn't. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's not certainly not an open and shut case. Right. But, uh, right. You know. Well, I want to bring in another very quick uh, perspective. Somebody else before we get on ours. I have some ar- articles mm-hmm. about a diverse group of people that have some interesting angles on mm-hmm. this. Uh, definitely not the ones you hear a lot in mainstream media, but mm-hmm. uh, someone who had something and it was sent to me by, uh, I believe, Sister Ruth, actually one of our Futurians. Had, had sent me a link to this, and this was a little short little audio that was released in the last day or so from um, Ron Paul, mm-hmm. uh, a congressman, representative, he's running for president now. But he had his thoughts because he gets a lot of uh, attention, including a lot of booing when he talks about this stuff. But he had a little audio, and I'm going to just play it here on the show, where he gives his take on the legacy of 911, and then we can say a few words about it afterwards. So here's Congressman Ron Paul and audio that he has about the legacy of 911. This is Ron Paul with your weekly update for September 12th. Ten years ago, shocking and horrific acts of terrorism were carried out on U.S. soil, taking nearly 3,000 innocent American lives. Without a doubt, this action demanded retaliation and retribution. However, much has been done in the name of protecting the American people from terrorism that has reduced our prosperity and liberty and even made us less safe. This is ironic and sad considering that the oft-repeated line concerning the reasoning behind the attacks is that they hate us for who we are, a free, prosperous people, and that we must not under any circumstances allow the terrorists to win. Though it is hard for many to believe, honest studies show that the real motivation behind the September 11th attacks and the vast majority of other instances of suicide terrorism is not that our enemies are bothered by our way of life. Neither is it our religion or our wealth. Rather, it is primarily occupation. 
if you were to imagine for a moment how you would feel if another country forcibly occupied the United States, had military bases and armed soldiers present in our hometown, you might begin to understand why foreign occupation upsets people so much. Robert Tape has extensively researched this issue and goes in-depth in his book, Cutting the Fuse, The Explosion of Global Suicide Terrorism and How to Stop It. In fact, of the 2,200 incidents of suicide attacks he has studied worldwide since 1980, 95% were in response to foreign occupation. Pape notes that before our invasion of Iraq, only about 10% of suicide terrorism was aimed at Americans or American interests. Since then, however, not only is suicide terrorism greatly the rise, but 91% of it is now directed at us. Yes, the attacks of 9-11 deserved a response, but the manner in which we responded has allowed radicals in the Muslim world to advance a very threatening narrative about us and our motivation in occupying their lands. Osama bin Laden referred to us as crusaders with a religious agenda to convert Muslims, westernize their culture, and take control of their resources. If we had targeted our response to only the thugs and criminals who attacked us and refrained from invading countries that had nothing to do with it, this characterization would seem less plausible to the desperate and displaced. Blaming Islam alone is grossly misleading. Instead, we chose a course of action that led to the further loss of 8,000 American lives, 40,000 wounded, and has left hundreds of thousands seeking help from the Veterans Administration. We are 3 to $4 trillion poorer. Our military is spread dangerously thin around the globe at the expense of protection here at home. Not only that, but we have allowed our freedoms to be greatly threatened and undermined from within. The Patriot Act warrantless searches and wiretapping, abuse of habeas corpus, useless and humiliating circumstances at the airport are just a few examples of how we've allowed the terrorists to win by making our country less free. Suicide terrorism did not exist in Iraq before we got there. Now it does. There are no known instances of Iranians committing suicide terrorism. If we invade and occupy Iran, Expect that to change, too. Sometimes it can be very uncomfortable to ask the right questions and face the truth. When a slick politician comes along and gives a much more soothing self-congratulation, it is very tempting to simply believe what we would like to hear. But listening to lies does not make us safer, even though it might make us feel better about ourselves. The truth is that ending these misguided wars and occupations will make us safer, more prosperous, and more free. Thanks for calling this update. A new update is placed on this number, 888-322-1414, every Monday. The text can be found on my website, www.house.gov/paul, under the heading, Texas Straight Talk. Thanks for calling. Okay. Thoughts? Well, I made some notes on some things he said. You know, this is not what you hear a particular, uh, a regular political stump speech. Yeah, you always hear, they're they're mad at us because they hate our freedom. And we need a good slogan. We need something like a little snappy, yeah. like, you know, I've heard it said, somebody yeah. says that Ron Paul does not, um, 
when he has like a debate, he he doesn't do a normal like stump speech, can't yeah. slogan kind. Of, he educates. He uses it as an opportunity to educate the listener. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it, I think people are starting to gather that. Some of that going on, yeah. Well, some of the things that 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 he said here, he said, you know. He says the common discussion, and this is most of the other politicians that are particularly running for president, says that we, we are hated because we live free and prosperous, and this is what our enemies are really attacking us about because we have freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he quotes some actual statistics and yeah, some studies that show. I wrote showed, them down, too. They're interesting. Yeah, that that um, that the motivation of the 911 attacks and, and suicide bombing has consistently said that we have soldiers planted in their countries, we have occupiers where their holy sites are, and this actually is what it is. And this is what you don't hear other politicians talking about: is that what impact does it have when when you're actually in an area that's a very very important area for people in their country, and you just take your armies and occupy them there? Mm-hmm. And are you shocked that people respond when you do this? And this is something that you can't even talk about in Christian circles. I mean, they will actually get mad. It's like what you read in the Book of Acts, and they grab their ears and. You know, start Dude, grabbing I had and a, dragging you out of the I had a I had an experience talking to this guy uh, right before we went off to right before we went off to speak at the last days conference. I had a guy come up to me at church and I was sharing about the USS Liberty. Yeah. And the dude sitting across the table said, Well, do you think all terrorists is fake? Terrorism is fake? What about today? And I said, Well, we were just talking about the USS Liberty trying to defuse the situation. Yeah. And his wife's looking at him. And uh, everybody's kind of looking, and he's like, well, yeah, all of that history stuff is all well and good, but what about today? And I said, well, my talk really focuses from 45 to 85. And, mm-hmm. you know, we try to just be factual for mm-hmm. the most part. And uh, uh, he said, well, score one for the hate America crowd. And everybody at the table stopped and looked at him and then looked at me like, is he going to tear his head off, or just going to let that one go? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just—it was just another one of those like ridiculous. You you bring something up where, you know, it might be slightly out of favor, mm-hmm. and all you get is is people throwing spitballs at you. Yeah, you would think you know you would think I don't know if it's a church environment or whatever, but you would think that that would be an environment where people could say things, particularly about the world. Mm-hmm. Where you, you could point out some shortcomings about the world, even when America is part of the world. And it almost seems like in our country, church people have a hard time remembering that America is a part of the world that the Bible talks about worldliness. Sure, man. You know, it's, it's, I guess that doesn't rec- recognize it, it American seems to me exceptionalism. It's kind of become a place where people can, like, it's like a club. It's like going to, you know, going to the Odd Fellows Club or the Veterans Club or something. Everybody there's got the same opinion. You sort of backslap and, mm-hmm. you know, just without, you know, the drinking. Yeah. And not all churches like that, but there there seems to be this sort feel of... Feel good. Yeah. Place to go feel kind good. Kind of thing sometimes. Yeah, feel good about yourself. Yeah, and like I said, it doesn't all, all churches are like that, but... Yeah. Or, or even individuals within mm-hmm. those churches, but there is that kind of, yeah. you know, feel good, slap happy thing. Well, a few other points I noticed from Ron Paul. He said... Um, he mentioned there's a, a guy, a Robert Pope, I believe. Yeah, I didn't get the name. Called, but, uh, the book was called Cutting the Fuse. Cutting the Fuse, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And evidently, of the 2,000 suicide attacks since 1980, 95% of them they, they claimed 
were done due to, to foreign occupation, mm-hmm. which is something we can't even talk about in our society. Uh, and that he mentioned that 10% of suicide bomber attacks were on U.S. assets before these wars, after 911, 91% of them after the wars. So our wars have not, and, and the loss of life of our troops, as well as many other people, has not stopped any of that. It's just made mm-hmm. it worse. And it reminds me of the old adage, you know, in, in companies where it says the beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. I assume we're just supposed to keep sending more and more troops out into IED-laden ground and just keep sending them out there until suddenly people start liking us. And, uh, you know, that's that's the thought. Um he, you know, he he spoke out against blaming uh, Islam as a whole uh, for all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentions that it's cost eight thousand of our lives, forty thousand wounded, which eight thousand is you know well over double of what even happened in nine one one, and three to four trillion dollars, which is a number none of us could really imagine before nine one one happened. I mean, a trillion was like a sort of a funny number. Yeah. yeah, or something more like, uh, and, the, and the next galaxy was like a trillion miles away. Mm-hmm. But but that is what has been spent on this. And he mentions part of the legacy because he does a very good uh, summary of what this decade's brought as a Patriot Act. Um, basically, any kind of reduced uh, uh, oversight over the government and surveillance over our lives, including a bunch of people who've not done anything. And he says the humiliating conditions in our airport. And he says, uh, he, he closed it by saying, you know, that politicians normally have soothing answers and he wishes he could do it, but um, believing lies does not make us any safer. And I, th- I thought that's a very bold thing to say. And he was in the debates last night. I don't know if people saw it. He got a lot of cheers. More people are starting to cheer his comments about Federal Reserve and other things. But when he mentioned this whole thing about Iran and Rick Santorum is always the guy who likes to use him as a punching bag. Because he's a big theocracy kind of guy. Yeah, and do a uh, very good job. Well, Santorum is like a fraction, you know, in the polls and yeah. stuff. But he always ties into Ron Paul for, you know, heaven forbid, not waving the flag enough. And and Ron Paul, to his credit, um, said something that alienated himself from a lot of people in that audience. But he was speaking what he thought was the truth. Mm-hmm. That what he said in here was that it was our occupation of foreign lands and our troops there. And he said, he said, wouldn't we act the same way? If we had foreign troops in areas that were really important to us in our country and had them permanently occupying there, can't we understand? And see, that requires empathy. You have to have empathy to understand what if the shoe was on the other foot. Mm-hmm. And I think America has a deficit of empathy right now. They can't understand if it was them what would happen and how they would respond. And, of course, he was castigated for it. So that's enough of that. Uh, it's time for us to get on some information ourselves. All right, man. You want to lay on something for us? Sure. Why not? Okay. Well, dive right into it, brother. Well, here's a... Um, oh, gosh. There's just so many stories. I hate just pick the ones that you prioritized before the show started. Okay. But I, I do that, and then I, I start reading them, and then I'm like, man, they're just... They're all so ridiculous. I mean, like, ridiculous in a good way. Well, or in a bad way. We're on the clock, so just pick one and proceed. All right, here we go. Since we're since 9/11 is on the minds of many, yeah. I'll go with this one. CIA goes after producers of 9/11 Press for Truth. This is from Boiling Frogs. 
Uh, I, I originally saw the story posted. You never know. heard of boiling frogs. Is this you never is heard. Media? I, I've heard of them. I've heard of them. They're okay. a, kind of they're like a little blog and mm, do okay. all the, the you know boiling frog. I think it's boilingfrogspost.com. Okay, well lay it on us. Uh, and I'll just give you the little synopsis here. On Thursday, September eighth, twenty eleven, the CIA the CIA issued legal threats against producers Ray Noah Sielski and John Duffy on their discovery of the identities of two key key CIA analysts who executed the Tenet Black Blee cover-up in the case of two key 9-11 hijackers. Uh, So what what they're saying there is they found out that uh, presumably George Tenet, somebody named Black and Blee, they covered up uh, the identity of two key 9-11 hijackers. The analysts were referred to only by first names initially, but were going to be fully named in a follow-up segment. Uh, Noah Sialski and Duffy are working with legal advisors, and we will have uh, more on this soon. Meanwhile, you can listen to our recent exclusive interview with the producers and their discovery here at Boiling Frogs Post. And they give a link. Uh, The producer's website was taken down yesterday, uh, we are in touch with them, and we will keep you informed. Please disseminate the stunning new development, the CIA's panic, and the content of their interview. Thank you. So, what do you make of that, man? We might have, we might have a key, a key turn here in, in uh, the 9/11 truth movement. Possibly, you know. I mean, hmm. uh, the way that this whole thing is stacking up, at least, at least initially, is. They now have somebody who's admitted to doing some radical covering up, and uh, the CIA is flipping out. So we'll see. Will it ever see the light of day? It's tough, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm reminded of I'm reminded of things like uh, um, um, what was that that thing that happened out in Nebraska that. We should have done a story on our show on long ago with uh, the the boys club conspiracy of silence the Franklin cover up Franklin okay yeah you know that that was that that was set to air on you know like public broadcasting channel yeah and literally hours before it was three senators called up and got it got it pulled and they burned all the negatives and documents except for one copy. <laughs> Is that available? Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's on the internet now. You can find yeah. it all over the place. Just, just search for. Um, I was just mm. watching parts of it for uh, trying to look for a quote today. Um, wow. Yeah, you can find it if you type in Franklin Coverup. There's a website dedicated to okay. it. What about YouTube? Yeah, yeah, you can you can look at that and right. the, the video is also called um, Conspiracy of Silence. Okay, that's another one. The point is uh, the point though, obviously, is that you know they they pretty effectively pulled. What turned out to be an internationally dr- international drug and you know human trafficking ring that was run out of Nebraska by one of the stalwarts of the Republican Party, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they had high ups, higher ups. Involved. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, about as high as you want to go. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let me share one in here. This is a interesting perspective back on this now and one legacy kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, this is from a gentleman by the name of Joe Ortiz, uh, and he has a uh, sign. You can read this. It's called Our Daily Bread by Joe Ortiz. Blogspot. Com. 
He, I believe, has actually been on Pid Radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a Facebook friend of his. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, he's I think Mexican American by background. He has a strongly worded uh, uh, word on this, and you know whether people agree or not with the assertions people make. I'm glad when people will make bold statements and do them unafraid. Mm-hmm. It's it's not one thing just to throw out just crazy stuff, but I mean when people will say what they really feel. I'm glad that that can be before they get intimidated and they're sort of going into. You know, just where the rest of the mainstream fish are swimming. Uh, let me dive into this. This article is called American Patriotism. What is the Christian's duty? Hmm. He says the 10th anniversary of the World Trade Center and Pentagon attacks by alleged Muslim radicals was brought boldly into the eyes of the American public through a myriad of media and sporting events. Even on the Internet, millions of people commented with well wishes and prayers of remembrance, especially for the surviving family members who lost loved ones. Many politicians... And other renowned celebrities were provided the opportunity to express the resolve through patriotic remarks. Extra special commemorations were viewed by television and audiences attended numerous sporting events. Reactions to the commemorations ranged from somber emotions to teary-eyed sadness, some with resolute patriotism, others with epithetical remarks ranging from resolute patriotism to ethnic and religious vitriol, primarily aimed at Muslims and dark-skinned Middle East peoples. I, too, became emotional, remembering my first reaction to the news on September 11, 2001, that the uh, TWC had been attacked. Uh, Ever since that horrible day, my thoughts have always been, I knew this would happen one day, but it didn't have to be so. Throughout my years of study, especially Bible precepts, I've accepted the fact that there exists a sowing and reaping reality that applies to all aspects of human life, whether it be individually or collectively, that basically states that God will not be mocked. As the Bible clearly documents, especially when you read the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, those nations that place God first always prospered, and those that chose to worship other gods faltered. War is a God. Americans continuously proclaim that our country was founded on godly principles, and for the most part, they have worked hard to implement this edict. Sadly, American leaders especially believe that Americans were blessed by God and through divine providence have been destined to rule the free world. Hmm. Uh, By virtue of their historically documented imperial journey, it conquered many countries throughout the world, mostly defenseless ethnic regions like the Philippines, Cuba, Guam, Puerto Rico, and historically acquired and built a military arsenal that proved victorious in most of its chosen conflicts. Vietnam being a possible exception. And he says, to best understand this phenomenon, I I urge you to read The Imperial Cruise by James Bradley, the son of one of the soldiers who hoisted the flag at Iwo Jima, Mm -hmm. a book we talked about on our show, Mm -hmm. in our archives. So you can see where he's thinking if he appreciates this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Most of America's imperial treks have been overseas, and it's been unfortunate, and it, it has been fortunate in not experiencing any invasive assaults on U.S. soil in its history. The only war in the United States occurred amongst brothers and sisters who lived in the North and the South, and that one we called a civil war. Ten years ago, we finally experienced the first attack in this country, which has left most Americans stunned. It didn't have to happen, but the true divine providence occurred, and that was a long time coming, and we can expect more attacks in the future. I will be accused of being a wimpy pacifist for stating my feelings about war, which I have expressed as far back as I can remember, even uh, though for a while I was just a gung-ho as John Wayne, 
when I served in the Air Force in the early 60s. By the grace of God, I was never in any combat situations, but I have worked with a myriad of veterans throughout my career, especially those who served in Vietnam, and the horror stories they shared with me literally churned my stomach to nauseous apoplexy. Hmm. That was the same feeling I had all day long as I witnessed all the commemoration ceremonies of 911. Okay, he's saying that witnessing the ceremonies, not the 911 event. Mm-hmm. Okay, he says, "Am I being anti-American for feeling this way? Not in, not in the least, because this issue is not about patriotism. It's about witnessing how millions upon millions of people have not only been duped by its imperial bent leaders, but the majority of them, along with many self-avowed Christians." cannot make a distinction between who they should serve, the flag or the cross. Albert James Dager, who wrote the following article, stated it best. And this is the remaining part is an article by, by this gentleman, uh, Mr. Dager, uh, called What is the Christian's Duty? Okay, And he says that during the 91 war on the Persian Gulf and the period leading up to it, a controversy of no small proportions arose among Christians a controversy that actually split the brethren over the issue of patriotism. The accusations of treason and being un-American lodged against those who opposed the war in the Persian Gulf exposed as nothing short of idolatry the blind patriotism dearly clung to by many professing Christians. Um, Treason means to involve oneself in subversive activities to the detriment of one's country with the purpose of benefiting another country or political entity. By this definition, a mere difference of opinion about government policy or refusal to support the government in its agenda for war does not make one a traitor or un-American. This is a mentality suited to totalitarian governments, wherein one is considered a traitor for his opposition to the state, regardless of how contrary to the interests of the citizens the policies of the state may be. Christians should probably not break fellowship over the policies of national governments. Nevertheless, while going to war over the Persian Gulf may certainly have been viewed by many as a matter of national duty, we are convinced it cannot be biblically viewed as a matter of our Christian duty. To equate loyalty to any political or military agenda as required service to God makes an idol of that agenda and the nation that holds it. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like our thinking. Mm -hmm. Whatever one chooses to do or think regarding a Christian's duty to fight for his country, he must be led by the Spirit of God. Of all areas in life that we should seek God's leading, it must be whether we should join an organization led by unregenerate men that would require us to kill others. To enter into killing others on the basis of trust of men in government is to play very loosely with our freedom in Christ. When we, are, when we become impassioned over the world's conflicts to the point where we are willing to kill others or to die merely upon the orders of government, we have lost sight of our Lord's calling on our lives. And, more importantly, we've lost sight of his ability to control the destinies of nations without our involvement or interference. You know, this is the kind of message you probably didn't hear in a lot of pulpits this Sunday, I'm guessing. No. Uh, at least in conservative evangelical pulpits, I'm sad to say. In the face well, of the, in any pulpit, yeah, doesn't, doesn't matter. Well, there might be some of your real liberal kind of ones that you know. Yeah, but they don't believe in the resurrection. Well, stuff, you're so. right, and yeah. and maybe not worried about what God would think. Yeah. In the face of the world's conflicts, we rightly discern that the destruction wreaked by a tyrant is evil, but we fail to perceive that the destruction may be God's will in order to work out His sovereign purposes. We do not fully understand God's plan of worldly conflicts 
In some cases, he may want a tyrant to succeed. He, we may find ourselves fighting against God's purpose. This is something interesting for us to discuss, because there's a lot of facets to that. Mm-hmm. If this sounds incredible to our carnal minds, let us remember how God destroyed nations for the benefit of Israel, then destroyed Israel for its failure to live up in obedience to him. Let us consider especially his stern warning to Israel to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king of Babylon. Many of today's Christians would have rallied to Israel's defense and said that God's prophets who instructed Israel to submit to Nebuchadnezzar were false prophets. This is a point that I've, I've also made too. The, the true prophets were the ones that said, look, these enemies are there for a purpose to get you turned around mm. to me. Okay, after all, he says, would God send his people into captivity under paganism, especially knowing that they would be serving pagan gods? Failing to understand this vital principle of God's sovereignty in the affairs of the nations, many Christians assume without question that the nation which confronts the tyrant with military force is acting with just cause, yea, even with God's blessing. After all, its side in the conflict is good. They assume that patriotism requires that they take up arms to kill in order to defend a country's way of life or to preserve its so-called God-given liberties. But true patriotism is love of the people, not love of the government system. Whether democratic, dictatorship, communist, monarchy, or any other form, government exists for their own benefit. This world system is under the direction of Satan. Within the world system, there is little room for honor or for truth for true sake. Governments do not look out for the welfare of the people. They look out for their own welfare. Love for the people compels us to minister God's grace through the preaching of the gospel. Until we have demonstrated that love, that love to the people, we hardly have cause to kill or die for the government. How many Christians are willing to die for their country while refusing to die to self for their God? Hmm. Blind patriotism is idolatry, which I agree with. Yeah. While our responsibility is greater to the nation in which we live, that responsibility for the Christian must be viewed in light of our greater responsibility to the kingdom of God. Is not the Christian duty at least as important to the brethren and other nations as it is to our brethren in the nation in which we live? And shouldn't that duty help us define our duty to the nation? Yet the idolatrous message of blind patriotism has been the message for many pulpits in time of war. Christians go to war against Christians because their governments tell them to do so. The 1991 Gulf War was an exception only to the extent that we went to war against one Muslim dictatorship in order to defend two other Muslim slave-holding states. (laughs) Our chaplains could not even wear crosses, and Bibles could not be mailed to our servicemen. American pilots bombed churches out of existence, but not mosques. We were told that it was our Christian duty to stand in support of this war. But, it is argued, we cannot sit idly by. We must do what we can to stop tyrants. While it is natural to think this way, Christians must be spiritually minded. Natural mindedness essentially questions God's ability to act in a sovereign manner without our help. But can any tyrant go any further than God allows him to go? The obvious answer is no. Uh, Can anyone stop the tyrant from going as far as God allows him to go? Again, the answer is no. No tyrant, and this includes Saddam Hussein, can deviate one iota from God's sovereign plan. The Christian's greatest weapon is prayer. Scripture commands us to pray for our leaders. We are also to abide by the laws of the nation, pay our taxes, and not speak evil of dignitaries. This does not mean that we cannot expose ungodliness or refuse to obey laws that conflict with God's laws. Nor does it mean we must kill others or die for the government. God will use the ungodly to stop the ungodly. He does not need our interference. 
the Christian's involvement won't mean one iota of difference to the outcome of any conflict. So why should God's people presume to take up arms and suggest they must be God's instrument of judgment, especially in view of the government's selective indignation for geopolitical purposes? They, they pick who they want to be upset with. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were my world, my, my servants would fight. Yet Christians think that in order to serve God, we must be willing to die or kill for earthly governments. Is this not a cult mentality? The Christian must ask himself, Would the Holy Spirit lead me to kill another person? And if so, under what circumstances? Scripture tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, on and on. Galatians 5. Attributes the natural mind classifies as relevant to wimps. The works of the flesh include hatred, wrath, and strife. Galatians 5.20. Attributes by spirit of warfare. If we are led by spirit of God, we will exhibit his fruit in our lives. To follow after the dictates of government because of perceived righteousness and not the leading Holy Spirit demonstrates lack of trust in God's word. I agree that. Is it not peculiar that when a child wants to do what his friends are doing and which adults perceive as wrong, that adults counter with the argument, if your friends jumped off a bridge, you would jump too? Yet those same adults follow like lemmings the commands of unregenerate man whom they wouldn't even call friends. The point is this, we must objectively weigh every command of authority against God's word and against our conscience. But patriotism, peer pressure, indignation against tyrants, perception of just causes, none of these take precedence over the leading of the Holy Spirit in God's word for the Christian's directions. The only truly valid consideration is God's will as clearly set forth in his word and through one's conscience as he matures in the faith. Yes, there will be a price to pay for those who in good conscience refuse to be sent as lambs to the slaughter. Some will say that those who refuse to fight will hurt their testimony and will be looked upon as cowards. But cowardice does not always seek escape from death or dismemberment. Sometimes cowardice can be found in those who, in spite of their convictions, allow themselves to be herded like cattle to the slaughter rather than face the taunts of others who live in ignorance. To stand on patriotism alone blinds one to the will of God. The United States prepared to continue to provide the economic and military impetus to the globalist agenda, the New World Order. During and after the 91 Gulf War, President Bush spoke excessively of a New World Order. It appears as if we will continue to expend ourselves in waging war or threatening war until all nations comply with this agenda. We will no longer fight for sovereign kings and for the defense of our nation's soil, but instead strive for this New World Order which the Bible tells us will eventually culminate in the unification of mankind in opposition to Jesus Christ. Hmm. The point in pointing out these things is to warn the brethren not to get involved in the globalist agenda through the world's disputes lest they suffer undue consequences. What is the role of the follower of Christ in the midst of this heady geopolitical agenda? Is it not clear as we look at the teachings of Jesus and the apostles that we are to not take sides in the world's disputes? We are but strangers and pilgrims here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let heaven be the focus of our patriotic fervor. Hmm. I know that was a long article. As long yeah, as it was a long one, man. But it was good. Um, a lot of good points. Do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Brother Joe? Um, you know, it's nothing, nothing that we kind of haven't covered before, but it was very eloquent and well done. And if I was grading it, I would give it an A. Well, that was his perspective on 911 looking back, and I think it was a very, very brave one. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would say, again, 95% of it, I felt, you know, right on, and and I'm so glad that there's a brave brother saying it, is that 
I don't know if some might interpret it to be somewhat Calvinistic in that um, basically any rulers, ours or anybody else's, can do whatever they please and nobody has anything to do with it. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the issue I have is not the fact that God is always the one endorsing all of that badness, although sometimes he does to punish people, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if something happened with the Muslim hordes coming over here, it might indeed be punishment against America, and it might even be like what happened with Israel. So I know the possibility exists, but I don't think that that uh, gives us a right to look the other way when we find our representatives are acting in a lawless manner. Uh, and I don't think Romans 13 says that we are supposed to support lawlessness. And when they do not support the dictates of the Constitution, that is by definition lawlessness. Uh, so I can't say we're absolved of any concern. But when it when the 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 main bulk of what he's talking about, which are these big geopolitical strategy wars, when we get involved in sending our guys over in Timbuktu to fight these things, we don't even really know the real story while we're there. It's not like we're seeing some enemy marching on our yeah. shore. We're going to Iraq. You know, it's not like we're seeing somebody marching in our neighborhood and we're getting our neighbors and militia to fight them. That's one mm-hmm. thing. This is all a chess game. And like he mentions, it's globalism, it's new world order. We are the pawns that are falling ourselves into this. And I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here at Future Quake, but these are the kind of arguments I think you need to make with your, your fellow Christians at church is to recognize that we're serving somebody else's agenda rather than the Lord's. Yeah. And, again, I hope they listen to that sermon that I mentioned, and we'll have on our link, because it makes a clear distinction between what the, what the uh, church uh, has for its mission and what the nations here have. You know, there may be a time and a place when an enemy marches on our shore. They haven't in a couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. But if it were to, it, we might be called to defend each other. But that's not what we normally get called to wars for. We get called to wars because somebody wants that oil field or somebody wants that banana plantation or whatever yeah. they'll lie and tell us whatever they'll make up in of these in yeah. these and, and know, americans tend was, to be the stupidest people of all and following you know one thing i was asking people all weekend what should we not forget what are we not forgetting now, a lot of times it was met with like a blank blank stare yeah my favorite answer was i know you you're just trying to ask tough questions yeah your reputation is out there <laughs> yeah I thought that was a good one, um, but yeah, it was the, the range of the range of responses was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, well, lay a story on us there, brother. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. This one is like it's onion weird, and all right, it's it's not the onion. It's a real it's a real you know reputable website news website Wired dot com. And uh, the thing that I take away from this most is just sort of the, just how odd and how they can use, you know, how they can use uh, all of this stuff. It's so easy to use to use technology to sort of track you and get under you. People are using mm-hmm. it in crazy publicity stunts. So this is from Wired.com. Court approves lawsuit against Toyota over cyber stalking ad stunt. Okay. Uh, a woman who was targeted by Toyota in a creepy stalker-themed online advertising stunt will be allowed to sue the company, despite the carmaker's argument that she unknowingly agreed to the whole thing. 
It's like that part in Brazil where the guy's like, look, you agreed to this. He's like, I didn't agree to anything. You know? I've got your signature. It's not my handwriting. Look, I don't make the rules, you know. Uh, Amber Duick sued Toyota in 2009 over its intrusive Your Other You campaign after she began receiving frightening emails over a number of days from a strange man. The man, who had who had her home address, told her he was on the lam from the law and needed to crash at her place for a bit to hide out with his pit bull trigger. According to a court document... Sebastian Bowler, who appeared to be a 25-year-old Englishman and soccer f- fanatic with a drinking problem, <laughs> based on the MySpace page he sent Duick, told the plaintiff that he was on a cross-country road trip and would be at her house in a few days. After Bowler wrote that he'd run into some trouble at a motel, Duick received an email from someone purporting to be manager of the hotel, who included a bill to Duick saying she was responsible for a TV Bowler had smashed. Duick freaked out over the emails before she received the message directing her to a video explaining she'd been punked by Toyota. Mm. The video explained that Bowler was a fictional character and the whole thing she had, had been an elaborate prank, part of an ad campaign for Toyota's Matrix. <laughs> uh... You know, and and this one actually kind of hits home because I got a call from my mom today, mm-hmm. and she said, "Mike, yeah. I know this is a silly question, but just answer it seriously." Did you say no? It's Tom you're talking to. <laughs> That's not what I said. Okay. Yeah, she said, "Are you in Mexico?" I said, "No. Uh-huh. I'm at work cleaning floors." She goes, "Okay." Because somebody called Grandma and somehow convinced her that you were in Mexico and needed Mm $4,600 wired to them immediately. And And was pretending to be you. Yeah. 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 I I don't know the specifics, but I'm pretty sure what happened is they called up and she's like, hey, hey, Grandma. Yeah. Who is this? Casey? Yeah. No, this is... It sounds more like Mikey. Yeah, it's Mikey, you know, and yeah, then just yeah. sort of, you know, played off, right. of, you know, poor, a poor right. older woman. Right. Um, anyway, unknown to do it, someone had signed her up for the campaign at youroutheryou.com, a website set up for the prank. The campaign was aimed at 20-something males because the company's advertising firm, Sachi and Sachi LA, determined that, demograph- that the demographic loves to punk their friends. Ads in print, online, and on billboards drove traffic to the Other You website where people could enter the name and details of someone they wanted to punk with the campaign. The person could choose one of five fictional characters, among them a heavy metal fanatic uh, and a soccer hooligan who would barrage the designated friend with text messages, phone calls, emails, and videos for five days. The aim was to freak out the friend by making him or her think the stranger possessed personal information about the target, phone number, and home address and was on his way to visit. Sachi and Sachi made sure the deception was complete by going so far as to create online personas for the fictional characters, including a band web page for the heavy metal band Fanatic. Uh, the agency even recorded an album for the fictional characters' fictional band. Um, even when you get several stages in, it's still looking really great. 
Saatchi creative director said about the campaign 2008. Uh, Duak, however, didn't appreciate it. She sued Toyota. Saatchi and Saatchi and 50 individuals associated with the campaign for intentional, intentional infliction of emotional distress, unfair, unlawful, and deceptive trade practices, and negligent misrepresentation, among other things. She's thinking seeking $10 million. Uh, Toyota moved to dismiss the suit, insisting that an online terms of service agreement that Duick had clicked on authorized the company to send her the emails and also included a provision that any disputes over the campaign would have, would have to be handled through arbitration. Uh, therefore, the case did not belong in court, but a California appellate judge ruled last month that Toyota had enticed Duick to click on the agreement under false pretenses thus invalidating the arbitration provision. <laughs> so wh- why did you pick that? Why would you think was interesting about that? Well, just the whole, just the, it's just so ridiculous. You know, people, um, uh, people, people being made to think that, you know, crazy people are coming to their house, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody thinks it's funny. Uh, there's, there's several reasons I picked it. It's, uh, one, it's just, it's just nuts. It's not so. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, it just look what a little bit little bit of technology in a advertising mm-hmm. bureau can do. You know, I mean, it's it's funny because it, in my mind it juxtaposes so many times where we've looked at these different stories that uh, show that the Air Force is doing similar things. Yeah. You know, where they're 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 one one story I read. Remember, they did a uh, they were they were asking for an online management system of multiple multiple personas. So they could go and uh, post as half a dozen different people on message boards to influence the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like not only is the U.S. military doing it, Toyota's, mm-hmm. you know, doing yeah, it. Yeah, corporate world. Yeah. They're all basically messing with our reality. Yeah. They're creating artificial and they think reality. And they think it's, oh, it's every, funny. Every oh, part my of our gosh. Life. I just yeah. love messing with your reality. Yeah, no accountability. Of course, if the private individual starts doing that, and misrepresenting to these big companies, boy, mm-hmm. there's price to pay there. Oh yeah, totally. You know, the IRS probably. How wouldn't dare you? You appreciate you playing games with them. Yeah. You know? No. Send them. Oh. Send them a. Send them forty-eight hundred dollars in Monopoly money. You'll see. Right. How fast. Yeah. They don't take a joke real well. Yeah. Well, you want another heavy-duty story from me? Yeah, man. Now, I, I'm reading some provocative ones today. Some people who sort of fed up and had enough. And that, that last one was pretty strong. Well, this one's a lot stronger, okay? This is one of those ones that you can tell somebody's at the end of the rope, and I'm surprised they would say this. But it's from a website that sounds sort of interesting. Have you ever heard of tvnewslives.org? Mm-mm. Pretty pretty sophisticated website. I don't know mm-hmm. anything about them. Some of our listeners may. They may know more about them. Maybe something we should be afraid of them. I don't know. But I was just, just introduced to them. tvnewslives.org. And a lot of material there. Jesse Richard is the founder, and he wrote this particular article uh, uh, that, uh, amazing topic. He says, uh, our troops do not protect our freedom, and we should stop thanking them for doing so. So, Mm -hmm. again, I hear the clothes being torn around the country, but let me just share his his point that he makes here. He says, uh, let's make one thing crystal clear. No member of the U.S. military contributes in any way whatsoever to protecting the freedoms of the American people. As a matter, and this is always intriguing because you got to think to understand what he's going at here. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they are more likely to turn their weapons on you 
than they are to defend your constitutional rights. Pretty bold. Wow. The only people he's not pulling punches. No. Two sentences in, and he's right. whipping it up. The only people on this planet Earth who can affect your freedom are members of Congress, local legislators, and members of the enforcement institutions who will blindly follow the rulers who sign their paychecks. And while your beloved troops are murdering people around the globe, yes, I said murdering, your Congress and local legislators are eliminating your freedoms in mass without any intervention by our so-called protectors in the armed forces. Mm-hmm. He's speaking the unspeakable here. There is no honor in volunteering to go anywhere in the world and kill anybody you're told to without question, without historical background, and without verifying the stated reasons for doing so. In this modern age of information, we, we now know that time and time again, our military has been deployed in a battle to kill and to be killed for reasons that in no way shape our, our form resemble the reasons for which they or we were told at the time. This is no secret. Although many Americans refuse to take off the flag that is wrapped around their eyes and see American history as it really happened, they blindly believe what was told to them by the people who have a vested interest in maintaining myths and misconceptions. The U.S. military, not once but twice, committed the single largest mass murder in history by dropping nuclear weapons on civilian populations, including, of course, on women and children. Say what you want about how it helped end the war. The bottom line is the U.S. could have exploded these devices over uninhabited territory with the same effect of scaring the heck out of the Japanese. But they followed orders that were lies and murdered almost 300,000 people without question. As a human being, I find it hard to honor such patriotism. Mm-hmm. From the Gulf of Tonkin to the first and second invasion of Iraq, history now teaches us that lies have led our troops to military intervention more often than not. As a matter of fact, it is hard to find an American military intervention in modern history in which the cover story ends up matching the actual events. A little research will show you this. It will also show you how the same people are usually behind funding both sides of military conflict. And those doing the funding and instigating have almost always been, how should I say this, the, quote, good guys. Yep, Westerners on the popular side of conflict are the ones funding the bad guys before they ever labeled the bad guys. Prescott Bush, the father and grandfather of George H.W. and George W. respectively. I wondered if this was going to come up. Yeah, made his fortune by funding the Nazis and Hitler's rise to power. This is, and by the way, this article, most of these comments he's making, provocative ones, are highlighted. I'll have the link there at futurequake.com, mm-hmm. the link to the story. They're highlighted to stories that show proof for every one of his provocative claims. So it's extensively footnoted with other information for people if you're downing this, okay? Okay, yeah, Prescott Bush made his fortune funding Nazi and Hitler's rise to power. This is the same clan who went after Saddam Hussein in Iraq after they put him in power and armed him in the first place. But why pay attention to details if it interferes with our troop worship and flag waving? Time and time again, we see that the people who make decisions to send our troops to war are the very people who profit financially from such wars. Today's troops can see this. It is part of the public record. Yet they still do not question their missions. They join the military with a promise never to question orders. Taking history into account, I see no pride in this kind of service. Recent history provides a very clear lesson for our troops and those who cheer their missions. 
you have never seen a more clear and egregious example of questionable motivations for military intervention than during the Bush-Cheney administration. A virtual who's who of defense contractors comprised not only the Defense Policy Board, but the Office of the Vice President. Not to mention that a significant portion of these men signed a document noting that a new Pearl Harbor would be useful in getting public support for their agenda to increase military spending and activity. And then, just such an attack, the first Pearl Harbor in 60 years took place on 9-1-1. What a nice coincidence. Gee, what are the odds of the only Pearl Harbor in 60 years taking place while the men responsible for preventing one and in positions to create and allow one were the same men who wrote about benefiting from one? But according to most Americans, it is crazy to suspect them of anything, simply because they're Americans. If Dick Cheney had been a Muslim, he would have been hanged nine years ago. Unfortunately, the majority of Americans have neither the intellectual curiosity to actually learn about historical events nor the intelligence to actually think about claims made by their leaders or pop journalism gatekeeping icons. For example, Americans have swallowed whole the concept of our troops protecting our freedom without ever once asking, how? How does killing foreigners in Iraq and Afghanistan protect our freedom? Maybe if they asked that question just once and really waited for an answer, a real answer that actually made sense to them, they would realize there is no answer because troops killing foreigners have no impact on the freedoms of American people, and they never will. Here's another question Americans have not asked. How can Iraqi, Pakistani, Afghan, or Islamic fundamentalists in other nations take away our freedom? The answer to this question is, of course, only by becoming a member of the U.S. Congress. It is sad that I will be lambasted for speaking the truth about this sensitive subject, but someone has to. The saddest truth, however, is that the members of the U.S. military serve today with no honor. They are dangerous and a threat to all free people here and abroad. In plain terms, they volunteer to kill at the behest of people who have lied to them for generations about why they are being sent to kill. Generations of lies be damned. They still follow orders and kill without question. I repeat, as a human being, I see no honor in this. While it is true that the existence of our military acts to deter nations from invading our shores, credit really should go more to our nuclear arsenal and military technology than to National Guardsmen who find themselves shooting at Iraqis in their own homeland. I don't think that it is a deterrent to have private American security firms torture for fun the enemies who are in their own country, in their own neighborhoods, near their own families, and who dare to fight the American military personnel who obliterated their homes killed uh, their brothers, sisters, children, mothers, and fathers, and occupied their soil. The nerve of them. In the meantime, your freedoms and protections are being systematically eliminated while government-protected rights for corporations are expanding beyond your wildest dreams. If this nation had a legitimate mainstream news media, you would know this, and you would probably take to the streets and revolt, because you would realize what some of us already know. Your rights, health, and wealth have been under assault, while you were distracted by boogeymen in foreign nations who were supposedly going to take your freedom away. So how free are you, and who exactly are the terrorists? Here's how free you are in your own home and your own country. These are just a few examples off the top of my head. There are more, but to start, number one, you are not allowed to drink raw milk, no matter how healthy it is, because under certain rare conditions it may cause health issues. But you do not have the right to smoke uh, chemically addicting oh you do have the right to smoke chemically addicting cigarettes when that is being used as directed it will kill you 
Number hmm. two, you don't have the right to stop your food supply from being contaminated and genetically manipulated, leaving you with no alternative. Uh, number three, you don't have the right to collect rainwater or grow your own vegetables to feed your family. Number four, you have no right to stop corporations from poisoning your water and air. Number five, you have no right to treat your ailments naturally because your government has declared the only way to become healthy is by medications and treatments that will produce big profits for corporations. Healthy food cannot benefit your health, uh, and if it, do, if, if it does, the FDA will classify it as a drug. You have no right to raise your children, uh, raise your child without injecting toxins and dangerous chemicals directly into their bloodstreams. Number seven, during the Bush-Cheney administration, you had no right to free speech. Special zones called free speech zones created and cut far from Bush and Cheney were, were for those who wanted to speak as free Americans could gather. Number eight, you are not free to exchange goods and services on your own terms. You must use Federal Reserve notes, which is not U.S. currency. It is a system of money created and maintained unconstitutional by a cadre of private banks. Number nine, you are not free to feed homeless people, and if you are homeless, you are not free to be fed by your fellow citizens. Number ten, we are not, and by the way, he has links to all of these. All of these you can find why mm-hmm. he says this. Number ten, we are not free to know about or to have any say about secret activities in which our rulers partake. For example, what terrible weapons they create, what biological or chemical programs they may accidentally or purposely destroy us all how they set up and instigate wars and conflict, as well as events that justify actions for which they want to take but have no legitimate justifications. America is not yet a totalitarian dictatorship, but it is clearly on the way to becoming one, and our beloved troops are doing nothing at all to stop this. What is worse is that someday they may actually be the ones to stop you from doing anything about it. They are already practicing to do so. So if you want to thank people for protecting your freedom, thank journalists, real ones, not establishment hacks, who try to inform you about what is taking place while you are distracted by nonsense. Thank civil liberty lawyers and staff who don't use their education to make it rich, charging criminally high fees for their services. Thank whistleblowers. Thank people who risk a backlash of threats and worse to finally speak the truth to people who simply don't want to know there is a truth beyond the myths they have comforted them throughout uh, their lives. And while you do this, I'll thank you for at least listening to these uncomfortable words. Reality is not pretty, but if we ought to open our eyes to reality, then maybe we can stop those who make it so ugly. I don't know about you, but I want to be proud of my country for real reasons, not mythical ones. Thank, thank you, quick too. <laughs> there you go. And that was Jesse, Jesse Richard. Ventura. That's another one that probably was not a sermon on Sunday, probably anywhere, anything no, close to that. No, that might have been a little bit uh, intense. Yeah. But I liked it. It was yeah. good. Pretty much got everything out there, wasn't it? He, In three pages, it sort of had like he soup fired to nuts, all, all of the kaboom, all the stuff that we yeah. had in one, one spot. Yeah. Okay, what you, what you got there, buddy? All right. Um, uh, let me, we'll do one more here. Um Prepare to be assaulted. This, again, sort of going along with our, our 9-11 theme. Yeah. yeah. Prepare to be assaulted. This government is out of control. This is from Gary D. Barnett over there at Lou Rockwell. Okay. Uh, Lou Rockwell recently outlined what he calls the five republics of the United States. As he correctly points out, in my opinion, the Fifth Republic began on September 11, 2001. While I agree... 
I think that this will also be the final republic. I say this not because I am a pessimistic person, but because I think this country, at least as we know it, is finished. The times ahead, I fear, will be much more dangerous than most believe, and in fact, worse than most can imagine. To look at any timeline of atrocities, government of atrocious government behavior since 9-11, one can easily see the path we're following. It is a path that leads directly to disaster, not the type of so-called disaster that government warns us about daily, but a real disaster resulting in the complete loss of liberty. The U.S. Patriot Act, the Military Commissions Act, the TSA, the FDA, the CIA, renditions, assassinations, multiple and continuous wars, Torture, bailouts, inflation, false flag events, secrecy, illegal searches, spying on citizens, private property confiscation, and much, much more is now commonplace, folks. It is now considered to be a crime to grow your own food, to film the police, which is funny because the police beat you up mm-hmm. for filming them. Then it goes to court and you find out you do have the right, right. but you can't sue them for it. Um, to sell lemonade on the street corner, which is true to protest, and in many cases just to speak out against the state. It is no coincidence that I am writing this on the celebrated, and that's in quotes, anniversary of 9-11, as the hoopla over this weekend was enough to cause nausea to most any libertarian or any critical thinker. The planned events unfolding are nonetheless shy of nonsense and propaganda, but do serve a purpose. That purpose, of course, is to continue to advance nationalism and state worship. Everywhere one looks, every television channel, every sporting event, and every parade, the talking hens will be spewing lies and waving flags. The remembrance of this that day will be evangelical in nature. It will be a banner day for politicians as they run unabashedly, uh, as they will unabashedly practice false patriotism and swim in a cesspool of self-interest. Uh, war will be celebrated and continued war will be justified. And that's true. Every event of this nature serves to promote more killing than anything else and never serves as a time to question as it rightly should. Tempers will flare and hatred will reign among the masses, while the innocent people in war-torn countries in the Middle East now being destroyed by the U.S. government and its minions and the military will continue to live in fear. Live in, the, live in fear they must, as the unholy prosecution of unjust war by the largest imperial force on earth is upon them. It is not only those with darker skin and different religious beliefs in the Middle East that should fear this beast. We all should be wary. The rulers of empires and their accomplices in crime are never satisfied and are never complacent. Their brutality and lust for power and money only grows with each and every aggression. That aggression has now come home to roost in the form of intimidation, regulation, police brutality, and a near-complete destruction of liberty. The economy is failing, and the coming total police state <coughs> excuse me, seems closer at hand than ever before. In other words, prepare to be assaulted. Those of us unwilling to accept this assault will be targeted, while those willing to bow down to authority will lose any chance to be free men and at this, at this time, the masses fall into the latter group and will continue to do as they are told. I hope that this apathetic behavior has a transformation of some magnitude before it is too late. After an economic collapse, the risk of massive civil unrest increases and the danger of martial law. An increased police and military involvement in domestic affairs becomes almost imminent.
if allowed to escalate to that level, it will be increasingly difficult to turn the tide, and at that point any peaceful solution will be rendered ineffective. Since only peaceful means should be used to destroy the power of government, waiting until state forces are patrolling the streets is not a viable option. No kidding. Acting, acting in advance of any economic or political cataclysm is the proper course of action. Take heed of the coming rate of authoritarianism. While, typical, while tyrannical behavior by this government is already evident, it can get much worse. We are not far away from patrolling drones watching our every move, if in fact that is not already policy in place or being planned. As we've mm -hmm. covered here, it is being planned. Yeah. It is practically in place. Got a helicopter that will could tase you from the air. Um, we are not uh, far away from economic collapse due to government and Federal Reserve policies. That's probably true. We are not far away from a global war. Also true. As this government continues to spiral out of control, these things become more possible and more probable. We simply cannot wait any longer to stop this assault, and we must spread discontent. Which I thought was an odd way to end the mm -hmm. article. But that's where he ends. Mm. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Um, it just seems like a common theme here we're fighting is people found this anniversary for some people just to take the gloves off. I'm gonna yeah, call they it just, the way they got a little bit sick of it. Call anyway. it the way it is. And you know, all that we're talking about for our listeners here, mm -hmm. it may sound like a broken record here. This is from what we have documented over the years of our show. This all has biblical foundation. Mm -hmm. As provocative as these people's opinions are, these are consistent with what we've documented in our show and talked to her blue in the face as biblical reasons to justify, mm -hmm. even though these people are strongly in the minority in what their views are, although maybe growing every day. Uh, I'd like to close with one last story, if that's okay. Please. We'll call it a day. Yeah. I'm it's tired. consistent with the same theme. I know you're pooped. Um, I'm, I'm beaten. i got to get up. i got to get up in six hours. Th oh, shoot. Well, think how our listeners feel. They feel that way every time they're exhausted listening to that. Yeah. Um, now, this is from an interesting, different kind of voice. This is from the Danger Room at Wired.com. Okay, we've often got articles. They they have great. They do great investigative journalism. They will occasionally have a little little note of a little irony, you know, a little light lightness to it while pointing sure. seriously. But this is a very interesting one by Spencer Ackerman, who's one of their main reporters there. Yep. Uh, it says, "How to beat terrorism? Refute refuse to be terrorized." Okay, he says, ten years ago today." 2,996 people were murdered, unleashing a pair of destructive, mutually reinforcing trends. To prove their relevance, terrorists keep trying to attack the United States at home, and the media and politicians react to it with hysteria, running in fear of getting blamed for a successful attack and perpetuating the gigantic, expensive, counterproductive national security state. As awful as the snuffing of so many souls on 911 was, the second trend is often proved more dangerous than the first. Now, listen very carefully. He makes some interesting points in this. He says, in case you haven't noticed, hysteria is what the terrorists want. In fact, it's the only win a decapitated, weakened al-Qaeda can get these days. The only hope that these eschatological conspiracy theorists possess for success lies in the compelling the U.S. to spend its way into oblivion and pursue ill-conceived wars. That's how Osama bin Laden transforms from a cave-dwelling psycho into a world historical figure. Not because of who, what he was, but because of what of how we reacted to him. We can honor the 911 victims without being permanently haunted by them. 
And that points to the only way out of a trap that's lasted a decade. It has nothing to do with national security and everything to do with politics. The U.S. has to embrace the reality that terrorism is not anything remotely like the existential threat we make it out to be. We can honor those 2,996 without being permanently haunted by them. Consider the contours of this latest credible but unconfirmed plot. Reportedly ordered by new al-Qaeda leader Zahiri, three terrorists trained in Pakistani travel areas are coming to detonate car bombs around Washington and New York. That was over this weekend, the big mm-hmm. threat. He says car bombs are maddeningly easy to construct. They are maddeningly difficult to detect and defeat. It's a certainly one will succeed. Maybe not this time, but at some point. But here's the thing. It's very difficult to kill mass quantities of people with car bombs. So much has to go right. The explosive mixture, finding a target packed with enough people, avoiding detection and arrest in any stage of the plot. If a terrorist is lucky, he will kill dozens of people. It will be horrible. It will also be orders of magnitude less damaging than what Al-Qaeda pulled off ten years ago. There is only one kind of terrorism that actually is a major threat. Nuclear terrorism. And there, the U.S. has shamefully underreacted. It's a travesty that there's unsecured nuclear material in this day and age, and the Obama administration's effort to secure it, however incomplete, deserve credit. But notice that that's a problem about unsecured nuke material, not Al-Qaeda. Lock up the loose nukes, and yes, that's difficult, and there's no nuclear terrorism. What's more, the difficulty of Al-Qaeda acquiring the material even with its ties to the spy service of nuclear Pakistan, is reflected in the fact that al-Qaeda's most ambitious plots now involve car bombs. Mm-hmm. There are vastly more, you are vastly more likely to die in a car accident than from a car bomb. There are any number of ways to crunch the data. You know, this is interesting because Wired usually doesn't get in these kind of editorials, you know. It's yeah, a rare event. I know. It's interesting. But the bottom line is that you are vastly more... Okay, uh, he says, Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic says, that's a myopic way of viewing things. Consider the impact of terrorism on the Constitution, Goldberg writes, and on our collective self-conception as an open and free society. But terrorism alone cannot do anything to the Constitution. Only Americans can damage the Constitution. Goldberg is conflating the act and our response to it a response that is entirely within our power to effect. Indeed, as citizens in a democracy, it is our responsibility to check the government from its excesses and to stop adding fuel to the political fire. Look at the charts that Danger Room's uh, Lena Groger compiled, and she, uh, they had that attached. She tallies $6.6 trillion in defense spending after 911. There was nothing that Al-Qaeda could possibly do to justify even a slice of such a monster expenditure. Why did it happen? Former White House counterterrorism chief Richard Clark has an answer. There's going to be a terrorist strike someday, Clark told Frontline uh, for its documentary this week. He says, and when there is, if you've reduced the terrorism budget, the other party, whoever the other party is at the time, is going to say that you were responsible for the terrorist strike because you cut back the budget. And so it's a very, very risky thing to do. The risk, in other words, is a political risk, the culture of fear. It's a bipartisan race to the bottom, and it's why the national security state constructed by George W. Bush administration has found a diligent steward in President Obama. I think he's really hitting on it here. 
Yeah. Recently asked if the post 911 security apparatus might diminish soon now that Al Qaeda looks weak, Janet DiPolitano, Secretary of Homeland Security, replied, No. All the incentives align for keeping that liberty crushing security state in place, even when it looks like they don't. The government's two major post 911 surveillance laws, the Patriot Act and the 2008 amendments to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, both contain sunsets for the widely expanded authorities they grant to the government to spy on U.S. citizens. That is, they expire to four or five years and require congressional reauthorization to continue. On the face of it, the sunsets sound like an important civil liberty protection. After all, the surveillance ex- expansions aren't permanent. In practice, though, sunsets create political incentives for pr- precisely such permanence. Voting in favor of an expansion of the surveillance law is cost-free for any member of Congress if she doesn't have to tell her constituents that she's allowed the federal government to perpetually access their business records or track their movements through their cell phones. It's much harder to be the one to stand up and say the threat of terrorism is too minor for such expanded surveillance and that the government needs to stop. When libertarian Senator Rand Paul made precisely that case. Democratic Senate Leader Harry Reid subjected him to cheap, hypocritical demagoguery. The only way this changes is if citizens change the political incentives for politicians. Two-bit terrorists will always be around, sadly. But when the Harry Reids get major political blowback for attacking the Rand Pauls, then, and only then, will the 9 era truly be over. Obama has accommodated himself to the politics of fear, far more than he's confronted it. This isn't a call to stop counterterrorism. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta says that al-Qaeda is on the verge of strategic collapse. If surveillance, drone strikes, and special operations force can actually end al-Qaeda, it would be foolish to let the pressure relent. And to confront a residual threat from car bombs, police need to be vigilant, and the country will need to retain some smaller focused intelligence apparatus for early warning. But all of that is only justifiable if the new U.S. shadow wars, undeclared, largely covert wars in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, and beyond, actually end soon. The Bush administration never had an end game for the war on terrorism, preferring to conceive of a long war that amounted to an epical, generation-spanning struggle. The Obama administration emphasizes its slow, slow reduction in conventional forces in Iraq and Afghanistan and gestures at waging the cheaper, lower-profile shadow wars in their place. But it is never explained how those wars end, or even if they ever actually will. When Barack Obama ran for president, his national security team told me, in an extensive series of interviews, that a major focus of his presidency would be to confront what they called the politics of fear, the national security freakout that led to counterproductive post-911 moves like invading Iraq. But since coming to power, Obama has accommodated himself to the politics of fear far more and he's confronted it. He's allowed widespread surveillance of American Muslims. He was reluctant to fight Congress over closing Guantanamo Bay. He backed down on holding criminal trials for 911 conspirators. Obama deserves credit for ordering the raid that killed bin Laden, but presidents don't ever give up their power without a fight. Only when citizens make it acceptable for politicians to recognize that the threat of terrorism isn't so significant can the country finally get to what it really needs 10 years later. Closure. Hmm. Sorry, I was another one a little long one, but that's um, cool. Another different person, different perspective. 
add a few extra issues. But you know what? Almost what he was saying almost comes back to the kind of bravery that you see in a guy like Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not here trying to push him. That's not the purpose of the show. But he's one of the only only guys who's willing to say some of the things that we read in these articles, yeah. and willing to take booing on stage during a debate. Yep, from his own people. You know, I long for the day, no matter where our listeners stand on issues, I long for the day that we have politicians that will speak on things that they know they're going to get booed about. Yeah. And do it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because those people are called leaders. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have to agree with everything they do, you know, they're they're leaders. Um, I think I think we're both pooped. I'm wasting. We had more information, but uh, I think I'm going to call Mervin to tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we can call it a day here, brother, and uh, plan to get back another day Yeah. some of this. But uh, thanks for being here for this no, sort of good, man. hastily put together uh, summary of 911. Appreciate Robert Hyde dropping in. Yeah. And, and all of our other friends, we've got some interviews coming up, uh, having a little resistance on one in particular, trying to get done. Hopefully things will work out here in a couple of weeks, but we'll, we'll, appreciate we'll, we'll all our future work out one way or another. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hear about it one way or the other. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, listeners, appreciate love all y'all. Reminder again, check out that sermon from uh, Pastor Jerry McAnulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's linked. Be sure, everybody, if you don't know this, if you listen on iTunes, Go to futurequake.com, click on the Past Shows tab, and then you'll see all these stories linked there so you can read what it really says, not our boring rendition of it. And um, check out his uh, sermon and some of this other audio we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Tommy, last words you want to say or anything for us home. to keep in mind for next week? Huh? <laughs> I'm going home, going to bed. We wiped you out, huh? Yeah. Well, listeners, uh, just keep seeking the Lord for advice and uh, check out the front of futurequake.com and come back next week. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Later. God is not a man. God is not a white man. God is not a man sitting on a cloud. God cannot be bought.